listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 5 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for 40 years, and I love the way that God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this fifth installment, we will examine the role of endurance in stress management this time as it is demonstrated in a New Testament story from the life of the Apostle Paul and then affirmed in verses from both the Old Testament and New Testament. I'm sure you remember the Apostle Paul. He lived from about 5 to about 67 AD. His original name was Saul and he was from Tarsus. Saul, by the way, means asked for or prayed for. He was from the Jewish tribe of Benjamin. He was multilingual, a well-educated Pharisee or lawyer, a very zealous and religious man. He was single, and he had the trade of being a tent maker. He was also strongly persecuting Christians, as he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, until that fateful day on the road to Damascus when he had a vision and decided to convert to Christ, and God called him to become the famous missionary to the Gentiles, after which he established several churches around Asia Minor. His life was very difficult and stressful and full of persecution after his conversion, however, and in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 8, he summarizes some of the things that he had to go through. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. In case you weren't counting, that's eight times he uses the word danger. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So are you getting the picture here? Paul was under a lot of stress, and one of the key characteristics that helped him withstand all of this was simply deciding to endure. Going through those unpleasant or difficult processes and situations without giving away or giving up. So I would like to look at one specific instance, his terrible shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, He was probably about 60 by this time, and he was probably a couple of years from his death. He had already gone on his three famous missionary journeys and then stood trial with the Jews in Jerusalem and had appealed as a Roman citizen to Caesar and was allowed to go to Rome. So he was put on a ship 
along with a centurion who was in charge of him and some other prisoners. And they made their way up the coast of Israel and then around Turkey and over near Greece on their way on this treacherous journey to Rome. So we take up in Acts chapter 27, while they were en route, at about verse 8, they have come to the Isle of Crete, which is kind of in between Greece and Turkey and to the south. It's a long island that runs east and west, and they're on the south side of that island now. It's probably about October, around the Day of Atonement, a little bit after that, and it's getting very dangerous to sail. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lasea. So this is on the south, long side of Crete. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. That's Yom Kippur, you know. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. They were pushing because they wanted to make money. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Well, Phoenix was a little bit further to the west on the south side of this long Isle of Crete. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So even though it's on the south side, there is a little uh, turn in the island, and you can see where it faces a little different direction than Fair Havens, not due south. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. So now they're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, past Crete and south of it, and now south of a much smaller island known as Cotta. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. So if you can picture this in your mind, the waves are high, the winds are howling, it's probably raining torrential rains, the people are having to endure this rocking boat that's not like a big cruise ship of today with its means to steady itself. They are probably terribly sick. They're afraid that the ship is going to break up, so they're trying to put ropes underneath it to hold it together. They're also afraid that they're going to run aground, which would mean the ship would splinter into a bunch of pieces. 
and they have really no control at all. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Well, that sounds like a stressful situation to me. Giving up hope? After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. I guess he just couldn't resist saying, I told you so. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So God's going to bring them through, but they are going to have to go through this very difficult and stressful trial. I almost picture, as an analogy, the way a person might feel if they weren't very crazy about going on a roller coaster ride, but they got talked into it. And then they get on, and it's too late, and they're strapped in, and they're starting to leave, and they're really regretting that they're going. So how do you cope with that? Well, you tell yourself, this isn't going to last forever, and I'm going to hold on and brace myself and get through it. And that's really what these people were doing on this ship that had 276 souls aboard, as we will find out shortly. They were told by Paul that it was going to be okay. Faith rose up in their heart enough to think that God really had spoken to Paul, and now they were just going to make the best of it. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. So here they are, trying to do their job in a low-tech age, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. So for a sailor, this means you're getting closer to land and you'd better be careful. There aren't any lighthouses. The wind is howling. There's no moon. There's no stars. And so they're absolutely sailing blind. And at any time, they could run into rocks and the ship could be lost. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they prayed. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So these guys were certainly not willing to put the welfare and safety of their passengers first, were they? They were going to sneak off and try to save their own skins. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So the wind's still howling, and they're probably yelling at each other, and I can see the soldiers taking out a long knife and cutting through that rope, and the sailors watching with dismay as the lifeboat fell and then 
drifted away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. So he's trying to get them to do the practical thing. They're weak. They're sleep-deprived. And they desperately need some nourishment and some energy before they get into the shipwreck that's coming. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So they've already lightened the ship of its cargo. That must have been a terrible sacrifice. Wouldn't that make you just sick if you were the owner of the ship and you were hoping to make some good money doing some transport and you had to throw all of that stuff in the sea. And now you've got these big barrels or big trunks full of precious food. And you're hoisting that into the sea too, desperately trying to lighten the ship. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors... They left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and wouldn't move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Imagine the sound that must have made when it began to crack, and all of that wood started to splinter and tear apart. The people must have been utterly terrified. It's not like they had inflatable lifeboats, and it's not like they even had life jackets on. They were simply hoping to find some broken piece of wood that they could grab onto, and I suppose that many of them could not swim. And it was cold, and it had been raining, and they were probably shaken like a leaf, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Okay, we'll add that to your stress. Here's Paul, one of the prisoners, and now the soldiers have turned on the prisoners and they're just before running them through with a sword. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Malta is south of Sicily, which is, as you know, just south of Italy. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Well, what else can happen now? He's already spent over two weeks in the worst storm of his life, rocking back and forth on a boat, not eating anything, 
hardly sleeping or not sleeping at all, probably practically psychotic from not being able to rest. And then his life is threatened as the soldiers get ready to kill the prisoners. And then everybody's overboard and yelling and screaming and trying to get to the land. And no sooner do they get to the land and kind of catch their breath than he's bitten by a poisonous snake. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Okay, so now public opinion has turned against him, and people assume that he's some terrible person because this has happened. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Wow, I'm getting whiplash here from all the different things that are going back and forth. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. In other words, the storm was finally over. The sleeplessness and the not being able to eat and the being terribly sick at your stomach and heaving over the side of the ship all the time, and the stress, and people snapping at each other because they were so anxious and angry and on edge. All of that passed. It stopped raining. The wind died down. The sun came out. The snake that had fastened itself on Paul's arm died in the fire. People started having something to eat. They had a chance to rest. And then the Lord began to use Paul to do marvelous things that honored the Lord's name. And so the key to getting through it was just to recognize that better times were on the other side. And sometimes all you can do is hold on. Paul wrote about the importance of endurance to the Romans. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, he basically says that endurance leads to hope in these two verses. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So endurance is a stepping stone to hope. Hope in what? Well, that I'm going to get through this and that the Lord's going to have something better for me on the other side. The same book, the book of Romans, 10 chapters over, chapter 15, now we're in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, did you catch that? Through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this story about the shipwreck that Paul went through in Acts 27 isn't just 
a little bit of the biography of Paul, but it's for us to see that there are going to be storms in our own lives. And sometimes it might actually even lead to a so-called shipwreck in our own lives. But there's hope on the other side. And in fact, the hope is in the promise that we have from God that he will take care of us and see us through. He doesn't promise exactly the same outcome every time. It's just that he'll be there and he's with us for eternity and nothing bad lasts forever. Hebrews 10, 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hebrews 12, same book, two chapters over. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, hold on and get through the things that are stressful and difficult. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, are you catching that? The promise, what he knew lay on the other side of the cross and the grave, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus modeled this stress management technique for us. He was so stressed before he went to the cross that he was sweating drops of blood from his forehead in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was awful. But he made the decision that he was going to go through it. He held on and stayed true. And he went to the cross. And he went to the grave. And he arose and emerged victorious. And it was worth it because it provided a means of salvation for the whole world. And in the same way, when we have to go through something difficult, we can simply choose to hold on and withstand what we must withstand because there's something better on the other side. James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. You see what I mean? Endurance leads to the promise the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, there's an interesting verse about the end times in some of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Well, that certainly sounds like something stressful. But notice what he says at the end of verse 22. He who endures to the end will be saved. Not the person who gives up and says, well, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm out of here. It's the one who holds on until the end. That's the one that's going to be saved in those days. So the scriptures are telling us, and this story about Paul's shipwreck is telling us, keep going. You can do this. And the story is basically telling us, do you have stress? Decide to endure. Deliverance is ahead. 
this podcast has been a help to you, please pass it along. Blessings.